This episode is brought to you by Truth Table. Pre-order Truth Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation at truthtable.com and by IVP. Welcome to Truth Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, see How you doing, girl? You know, I'm doing okay. You know what? I'm, I'm going to take a moment to walk down Complain Avenue. Uh, uh-uh. <laughs> and then I'm going to rebu- rebuke myself at the end of it. But so, you know, you know, I, I talked to you earlier today and I was at, you know, at the gas station moving slow this morning and, you know, I'm, I'm amongst the many people that that's blown away by the gas prices out here. I was oh like, Wait a minute. I need my small car again. I need my little car. OK, you know, I've got I got I have a much you know, I got a van, you know, I have a mom car. And um, but I, I need to go back to the days of my little my little putt putt golf Your car. <laughs> Yeah, it's my, my Toyota Echo days. So um, where I could just travel all around the country for ten dollars, it felt like. But that those days are gone. Those days are long gone. gone. Yes, yes, yes. I've been humbled by those prices. How are you doing? Well, and listen, listen. These gas prices—they gonna have us back on lockdown. Because I'm like, well, you got gas money. That's what you got. You got snaps on the petrol. That's the question now. <laughs> <laughs> it's rough out here. It's rough out here in these inflation streets. Okay, I'm just like Whoa. anyway. But I'm good. Other than that, um, other than the fact that I can't afford gas, I'm over. <laughs> <And> so- <laughs> that's good, that's good. Well, you know, it, it's it's amazing to think about how um, even through times of uh, difficulty, you know, as I as I reflect on you know my love and our, my appreciation for the Black Church, and this is why we're really we're doing this series right now is that that is what that is the place where I learned to be able to tell the truth yep. and and to laugh <laughs> tell the truth laugh and hope um and and uh and and to wrestle uh with the realities that we experience so we can talk we can kind of we can talk about that we can joke about it and we can also long for and hope for something different at the same time so why don't you tell the people what we're going to be discussing today because this is an exciting episode. Yeah, y'all, we about to learn today. I know that I know that was last season's theme, but we still learning at Truth Table. And so, but yeah, we have um black church history is on the table. And really the history the historicity of the Christian faith and how do we think about this and why does it even matter? And so we brought the foremost experts on uh this subject to the table. And so I am really, really stoked to have Dr. David Daniels, the third at the table with us, and Dr. Vince Bantu at the table. Hello, gentlemen. Hey. <laughs> Hello to both of you. Hey, thanks for having us. Yes, we are so happy that you are here. And you know what? Just in case our sisters at the table and our standing room section people don't know who y'all are, let me read a little something about you all and we will get into the conversation. So, Dr. David Daniels III is the Henry Winters Luce Professor of World Christianity at McCormick Theological Seminary, where he joined the faculty in 1987. He taught as an occasional professor at seminaries in the Philippines and Ghana. Dr. Daniels earned his PhD degree from Union Theological Seminary in NYC, 
He has authored over 60 scholarly book chapters, academic journal articles, and general essays publishing on topics related to the history of African-American Christianity, global Pentecostalism, African Christians in the 16th century, Europe, and world Christianity. He has served on U.S. research projects funded by the Lilly Endowment, Luce Foundation, Pew Charitable Trust, and Templeton Foundation. He has also participated on funded research projects in Germany and Norway. And Dr. Vince Bantu is the Ohaney president of the Meacham School of Hamayot. Wait, Dr. Bantu, tell me, correct me. That's all right. Go ahead, correct me. I feel oh, like I said that wrong. Uh, Hymenote, yeah. Hymenote, okay. Hymenote, and is assistant professor of church history and black church studies at Fuller Theological Seminary. Vince's assignment from the Lord is to proclaim that the Bizrat, the gospel of Yeshua, is for all nations, tribes, and tongues, and to do this by teaching on the earliest history of Christianity in Africa and Asia. Vince is the author of A Multitude of Peoples through IVP, Gospel Hamayut, and The Bizrat. It's a Drew 3 podcast, uh, uh, a project podcast. Vince is also the Ohaney, the president of the Society of Gospel Hamayut. Yep. Okay, I got that right. Okay, okay. Have my notes. An academic society of theological gospelism, Afro-rooted theology committed to the universal lordship of Jesus, biblical authority, and the liberation of the oppressed. Welcome to the table, Dr. Daniels and Dr. Bantu. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So as I was listening to you, Kimmy, I started to think about our uh, Get in the Word podcast, <laughs> our, our Bible reading um <laughs> When we when we work through uh, Old Testament names that we're not quite as familiar with, and I was like, we're reading by faith right now. That's right. <laughs> but, but also, but also reminded that e- that each of these words and each of these terms speak to um, really the Catholicity of the Church, like the reading of it and uh, the inclusion of of God's uh, grace. And so, I'm really excited to to learn from um, both you, Dr. Daniels, and Dr. Bantu today. And so. I think our first question really is is to help us to kind of get our bearings on this topic. So we brought you to the table. We're so glad you're here to talk about Black church history. And I think we first want to start with the question of, um, is really from your vantage point, defining the Black church. Um, And it's defining it through the lens of history, uh, defining it through the lens of kind of its um, it's various starting points. And so even when I talk about this idea of, you know, what what is the black church? Where where does it start? Um, h- how would you both approach that question based on your kind of your research and area of focus? Dr. Daniels, you're welcome to begin for us. Sure. Again, thank you so much for the invitation. And it's great to be here on the panel with Dr. Bantu. Um, probably a simple answer would be it would be um, a community of faith of people of African descent. Um, a Christian community of faith, the people of African descent, um, and therefore, depending on what century and continent um, you are identifying. I will say, though, um, that the UK, United Kingdom and United States are probably um, among the few places that will be comfortable with the phrase black church. I do know my sisters and brothers in Africa often um, are troubled by using uh, a color to name a church. Um, but but besides that, again, that's why I would mm-hmm. want to make it as a, a Christian community of people of African descent. That's good. Thank you so much. Yeah. How about you, uh, Dr. Bantu? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say um, 
you know, uh, pretty similar. Um, I, you know, I, I would say this is where this is where I get a little controversial, though. Um, you know, because uh, I think that you know, as Dr. Daniel said, um, you know, it's definitely uh, believers who are you know African descent. Uh, even though I completely agree about kind of the nuances of you know these terms that people of African descent will use and how comfortable people will be with it. And um, I think another thing I would add to it as well is that, uh, especially when we're talking about antiquity, um, you know, the definition of black. Uh, is very uh, controversial. Uh, and so I would mm-hmm. say, I would maybe just add to that and say that, you know, I'd say, yeah, it's the black church is people of, 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 of sub-Saharan African descent, uh, because I think there is a racial distinction even today mm-hmm. and also in mm-hmm. antiquity between like North Africa and, and sub-Saharan Africa. Mm, that's that's yeah. super helpful. I, even before you go, I, I would yeah. love for you for, for both of you, I, I know that we have listeners who are, who are leaning in really hard right now, uh, even based on both of those responses, wanting to know a little bit more about why. Um, wh- can you unpack just a touch of the tension point around um, the, the labeling of, of Black, Black church, right? And what that means um, in, in the larger context of uh, the, the global church? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say... Um you know, obviously, like th- this is something that a lot of people have paid a lot of attention to in classical studies and Egyptology and Nubiology and and even, you know, even folks of us in the diaspora. Well, not not even in the diaspora, really, but even on the continent, uh, even in other parts of Africa, in West Africa and Central and South Africa, you know, uh, people of African descent um, have a, you know, have kind of a lot of interest and understandably so in ancient Egypt, uh, and ancient Nubia and ancient, uh, Ethiopia and kind of mm-hmm. ideas about where black people descend from, uh, you know, again, not just through the diaspora, but even, even in other parts of the continent as well, uh, is common for people to have ideas of descending from places in Northeastern Africa. And so it makes, you know, brings up questions about the, the race, if you will, of ancient Egyptians, uh, or other, you know, and especially as believers, when we start talking about ancient African Christianity, the very first place that we will want to go to um, is is some of the the greats, right? Like Augustine uh, and Tertullian and and Athanasius and some of the origin, some of these people from Egypt and North Africa. Um, but then there's a question of like, are these people African or are, now? That's kind of a silly question because they're from Africa. In fact, Augustine and Tertullian are from. Africa, Africa, like the only place in antiquity that was actually known as Africa. Um, but, and this is where, you know, but then when we talk about color and, and, and again, this idea of race, that's where it gets a little bit more complicated. Um, and, you know, some people will under, like, like to think of them as be, being black by our modern standards. Um, and, you know, I think this, this kind of brings up a, a larger, uh, you know, debate in, you know, historical studies. But I would just say that, you know, based on my reading of a lot of sources, that there was a clear kind of racial division between North Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa. Mm-hmm. And you see that even today. Yeah. Uh, you see that even today between Egyptians, Libyans, Moroccans, Tunisians, Algerians, and then and, and the way that they understand themselves in relationship to the rest of Africa, that they are African, uh, but not black. And, and I would say you see a similar dynamic going on in antiquity where people like in Augustine's area or in Egypt would have considered themselves, uh, you know, Egyptian, not African. Uh, if they were from where Augustine was from, they would consider themselves African. And Augustine calls himself an African multiple times. Um, mm-hmm. But he would not have considered himself black uh, or people from Egypt would not have considered themselves black. When they talk about black people uh, or Ethiopias, they're talking about like 
people further or later on during the Trans-Saharan you know, region, it's like the, then the term Sudan gets used. But it's not just the nation of yeah. Sudan they're talking about, but it's anywhere south of the Sahara. So it's another kind of stock word for black person. So there is a in the ancient and in the medieval period and just like today, there is kind of a you know, a, a racial imagination that conceives of, of what we now call Africa as being in like kind of different skin color or racial groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Dr. Daniels, can you kind of talk about just, you know, um, the the resistance or hesitancy, you know, of, you know, West Africans or, or Africans who you've in, encountered who are a little bit hesitant to, you know, take on the black church, maybe label. I'd say stronger than hesitance, but um, yeah, yeah, there's, there's no I'm more just trying to, you know, I know what people are trying to get them. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, so I, I want to agree with with Dr. Bantu, but I want to also say that I, um, I think he and I, and maybe uh, uh, others, are from the United States. So we we our social location Absolutely. has us look at things uh, from the politics of race of this country. Yes, and in this country, it was a binary. You were either black or you were white. Um, and when you go back to maybe prior to 1930, um, they had to figure out, are Chinese black or white? Are Japanese black or white? Because um, you could only be one or the other. You couldn't be um, something else. So so when we come out of that, it's very clear to us. But then if you go to our sisters and brothers in Brazil, they were introduced to four different categories, if not more. And black was a particular one. But people who were... Uh, brown skin were not black. I mean, not light skin. Brown skin were right. black. Um, so, 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 therefore, the whole politics. So, when we take a U.S. term like "black church" and then enter into an international conversation, mm-hmm. then we run into problems because it is our categories that we're using. Um, South Africa had three categories: uh, white, colored, and 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 black. Um, and so, so, so that's that's the problem: is that that we have to be very careful that we don't project our conversation onto them. And, yeah. and in cases where I was asked to talk about the black church, I'm nonchalantly talking about the black church. Somebody raised their hand, black church, what are you talking about? Um, because what do you say when you're in a country that's 99 or 85%, everybody looking similar to the same color that we would call black? Um, so for, for them, um, to be Christian is the designation, not mm-hmm. that. Now, I'm not saying they would disagree with this sort of, African descent, or to use um, um, Dr. Bantu's word, sub-Saharan African descent, they probably will be comfortable with that. But a color designation creates all kinds of problems for them. And again, if you're in Brazil, there's a four-way category, I think. In South Africa, there used to be a three, but now they've changed it, of course, to this rainbow coalition. But that's the problem. So that's why I want to pick up the African descent part, because that's what, what brings us together yeah. I, I'll agree with Dr. Bantu. It's a sub-Saharan African descent that I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and and these people who call themselves Christian, um, at least within the modern period, had a common kind of experience across the board for the most part. So it wasn't just merely ancestry, but there was a common experience. And then in some cases, some common kinds of theological concerns. Um, so therefore, they don't come together just because of something that's phonetic. They also come together for a variety of other reasons mm. as, as a category. Yes. Yes. That's helpful. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from our soul, soul location, you know, <laughs> here in the U.S. Um, I think there's Christians in their black Christians in their quest to defend the faith, 
you know, against uh, others or two, let me say not against, but two others um, who are committed to other, you know, beliefs or other walks of life, um, oftentimes reach back to Augustine, right? And Tertullian who are African, but not necessarily, they might not have identified as sub-Saharan. African. So they might not look just like us, right? Um, and so I'm wondering if you both, Dr. Daniels and Dr. Bantu, can speak to um, the contributions, you know, and uh, uh, of, the, of the faith and, and even just the, the current iteration, like with Protestantism, you know, um, and how Africans shaped uh, Christianity to, you know, <laughs> borrow that <laughs> that uh, infamous title, but I'm wondering if you all can speak to that. And so that, so we know that there's more, or, or are there more than just Augustine and Tertullian that have helped to shape Christianity? Or are they, only one, or are they the only ones that we can um, pull on or refer to? Yeah, no, I think there's definitely a whole lot more. And I, I mean, I got to be brief because uh, I, you know, the, yeah, the, this that's one of the things I love to talk about and I can do it too mm-hmm. long. But there's a whole litany of of African, uh, 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 you know, North African and uh, Sub-Saharan uh, African people that have contributed to the growth of the church. Um, and, and again, uh, you know, people like, you know, some of the, you know, the earliest places that you find, you know, Christianity is in North Africa. Uh, so mm-hmm. it really there's a there is a collaboration and there's a connection actually between North Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa in the ancient world at the beginning of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see in the Bible, you already have Egyptians and Libyans in at Pentecost. And, and some of the earliest Christians were Perpetuan Felicity, Tertullian, uh, Origen, Clement of Alexandria, people from Egypt and North Africa. Uh, and they certainly were not, uh, by, by modern definitions, they were certainly not white either. Uh, so I want to make clear on that. Uh, these were people that we would call people of color. Uh, these were brown-skinned people, uh, you know, that, that were that were African, uh, Egyptian and North African that, that, uh, you know, that wrote, uh, lots of different theological treatises. Tertullian, one of the most prolific writers in the early church. And Athanasius was one of the key people who was helping to defend the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, and, and you have Augustine, who is probably one of the, probably the single most influential theologian, for, at least for Western Christianity, uh, going, like going forward in history. Uh, but there's much more, of course, that, as I mentioned, there's a coalition and actually through Egyptian uh, monks and through Egyptian connections, uh, and then also Syrian connections, Christianity actually went into sub-Saharan Africa in Ethiopia first in the 300s, and then in Nubia in the four, in the four and then 500s. And in both of these sub-Saharan African kingdoms, Christianity actually became the dominant religion, uh, you know, in, in both of these kingdoms, which were the two largest kingdoms in the continent of what we now call Africa, especially in the sub-Saharan region. And so Christianity actually continued to spread uh, into other parts of Africa, even long before colonialism. And, and especially in Ethiopia, uh, in the during the, I guess, what, according to Western terms, is called the medieval period, or, uh, you know, to use maybe Ethiopian terms in the Solomonic period, uh, starting in the 14th or 15th century, there's actually a renaissance of theologians and writers in addition to names that we might know, like Augustine and Tertullian and Athanasius, but you have uh, people like Zari Yacob or Georgius of Sagla, who's actually the first attested sub-Saharan African author in history who wrote a systematic theological treatise of the faith in the 1400s. And you have, and you have also some of the earliest biographies and stories about black women, if we're going to, again, use this term, or sub-Saharan African yeah. women in yeah. history. You have people like Christo Samra and Walata Petros, who were 
who had their gadla or there is which is an Ethiopian or his word for uh, like bi- spiritual biography written about them. And they will out the patriots actually led a resistance movement against the Portuguese who had attempted to colonize uh, Ethiopia, uh, but didn't successfully because, again, Ethiopia is the only. Uh, black nation in the world that's never been colonized and it's yeah. been predominantly Christian nation since the 300s. So, I mean, again, I, I would go on all day, but there, those are just a few examples and names of of people, of, uh, again, from across the continent in the early period that made uh, significant contributions to the faith. Beautiful. Wow. Thank you for laying that out. But Dr. Daniels, how about you? Know, yeah, you no, so I, I, I commend um, Dr. Bantu and others who have uh, helped us understand um, how Christianity, not only within North Africa during the first few centuries, but in the interceding centuries, what happens between the fifth and in this case, he was going up to the 15th and 16th century, um, mm-hmm. because that story is not well known. Yeah. Forget about within the black church. It's not well known in the academy. Yes. Um, and so therefore, people who teach um, the history of Christianity um, don't know that story. And so, so, so there's there's a need for for podcasts like yours um, to help um, get that story out there. Yes. So, so if I want to pick up where he left off, so in the 16th century, the famous uh, period of not only the Renaissance, known for literary material, but also for the Reformation, um, the um, both creation of the Protestant t- Church as well as the continuation of the Catholic Church after Trent. Um, so, so, so one of the big things, though, from your question is contribution. And there's two kinds of contributions, and I won't differentiate only because of time. But the first one is, were they there and did they contribute? Did they do something, give something, share something, produce something? The other one is, with the the history of Christianity in the 16th century, be different if African Christians were not present. Come on. Now, that one I don't want to get to because that's highly contested because we're barely at the place that we even say that they're there. So that's to get to the I other part, to get to the other part of what difference did they make and did the course of history change because of them, that's a whole nother podcast. Um, <laughs> but, but, but on this podcast, on this podcast. So, so one of the first books that was ever printed in Europe that was not a European language, um, was in uh, Gaze, um, the Ethiopian language. Before a book was written in Arabic, before it was written in Syriac, before it was published uh, in Chinese, Japanese, the first one, which is in the 1510s. And it was a collection of Psalms from the book of Psalms um, and some other prayers and other things. Um, and and that, that, was, that, that started off, and, and you know, one of the reasons why there's a scholar on the East Coast um, who says that um, a number of, of intellectuals in the 16th century thought that the religion, the, the language of the Ethiopians, they called it um, Chaldean or Chaldean. And they thought that was the language of Abraham and maybe even the language of Adam and Eve. So they saw this as not yeah. merely picking yeah. up some book from something, someone from sub-Saharan Africa, but this might have been the first language of humans. Of course, they realized that that's not true, but they thought that. And you can't accuse somebody for what they think, especially when they go and put money together and produce the book. Um, so, 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 make, so, that's, that's, so that's one major moment that's there. There's other moments in between, but I want to pick up one with Martin Luther. Um, and this is some of the places that I've done a little research. Um, so Martin Luther, even before he becomes Protestant, 
already has, in my language, a fascination with Ethiopia. And so in his commentary on the Psalms, he's talking about Ethiopia and talking about Christians in Ethiopia. This is like 1512. You know, the famous 95 Theses is 1517. But then when he, when he, when he redoes the, the commentary on the Psalms in the 1530s, he doesn't drop the topic. He continues in the topic. Mm-hmm. And then in 1534, um, there's this Ethiopian traveling around uh, Europe at that time who, as anybody, you know, you're, you're in Europe, right? Don't you want to meet the famous people in Europe? So he mm-hmm. says, hey, I hear about this Martin Luther. So let me, I mean, obviously there's no trains, but let me get a ride up to Wittenberg. And I'm going to meet this Martin Luther. And he does. He meets Martin Luther. He meets Philip Melanchthon. Um, they host him. Um, they talk to him. They interview him. Um, he interviews them because he, he, he's the one that came there. You know, we always talk about Europeans going to Africa. These are Africans coming to Europe. Come on. And so, so in their conversation, um, Luther asks him all kinds of questions. You know, is it true that your Bible's, you know, in your original language? Is it true that um, clergy can get married? Is it true um, that you have communion in both the, the, the bread and the cup? Are these things true? You know, I've heard about these things, but, you know, I got me a real live Ethiopian sitting across <laughs> the dinner table from me, and I'm going to take full advantage of the opportunity. <laughs> and he does. And then he writes a letter recommending this Ethiopian wherever you go. You need to treat this man as one of our brothers in Christ. Mm. And not only does he write a letter, but Philip Melanchthon writes a letter and sends it, and then they send it around. Um, And the letter shows up in a variety of places. A scholar by the name of Stanislav Palau has traced some of the places the letter has shown up within Europe. Um, Mm. And from that, this is now my, my, my analysis, that Luther says, you know what? I'm not making all of this up. This is not the figment of my imagination. There is a historic church who's outside of Rome Come on. that has communion in both kinds. They have a Bible in their in their their native languages, um, and and um, have cl- clergy that are married and do not believe in purgatory. So my going back to the Bible now, I'm really stepping in. Doctor Bantu would tell me I'm wrong. He probably slapped my hand. If we were in the same room, but 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 I'd say Luther is saying I now have a historical basis for my argument. And it's the Ethiopian church. And I'm sorry, I'm going on too long. But some people say, well, the Greek church is doing that. The the Coptic church in Egypt is doing that. Why is Ethiopia so important? Get this. Martin Luther read the Bible. Should I go off the podcast now and we go home? And so when Martin Luther read the Bible, Martin Luther saw that eight precedes 10. Do you know the number eight comes before 10? Do you know that? Well, Acts chapter eight comes before Acts chapter 10. Right. Acts chapter right. eight is when the Ethiopian is converted. That's the first Gentile yeah. who's converted. Yes. The first church Martin Luther thought that was converted was Acts chapter 10. He thought that Ethiopian, Acts chapter eight, I'm sorry, and Acts chapter eight went home to Queen Cadesia or to Cadesia's queen and the kingdom got converted. Martin Luther thought, as some others around his time, that the Ethiopian church is not as scholars like like Dr. Bantu knows, was converted in the fourth century. Martin Luther, because he didn't know any better, he just read the Bible, he thought they converted in the first century. Mm. That was the first kingdom, he thought, that converted to Christianity before Rome. Mm. So he held them in high esteem because he thought they deserved to be held in high esteem. 
Mm. And then you can go on to the Council of Trent, which is the famous council that transforms the Catholic Church in the 16th century. There's an uh, Ethiopian by the name of Tasfa uh, Sayan, who is in, who's known by some of the people who are, who are uh, part of the Council of Trent. He um, uh, works on a, a baptismal rite from the Ethiopian Church and their, their worship service, and he works on a Bible translation all in the 1540s, and some of it even shows up in the conversation during the Council of Trent. And then you could just go on, I mean, all the way up to the 17th century. But the point is, is that African Christians were there. Yeah, wow, wow. Very, very powerful. Thank you so much for just that, 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 you know, that overview, but yet even detailed, you know, just the, the power of this Ethiopian going to Europe, which is significant in and of itself. You know, it reminds me of, you know, the scripture in Hebrews that talks about we entertain angels unaware <laughs> and not knowing that through that conversation, through that dialogue, this was going to be the impetus of the Protestant Reformation, you know, through Martin Luther. So thank you, um, Dr. Dean. I, 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 do, I do want to qualify again. Oh, I'm okay. not saying that the church started because of the Ethiopians. I'm saying that Ethiopians led legitimacy to what Luther had already started. Oh, sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that's an important distinction. Well, let me take a quick commercial break so we can come back and learn some more from Dr. Daniels and Dr. Bantu. So don't go nowhere, y'all. We're coming right back. In Young, Gifted, and Black by Sheila Wise Rowe, she draws on decades of experience counseling trauma and abuse survivors to give voice to the real-life stories of gifted Black millennials and younger adults. She goes beyond the common narrative that focuses solely on either success or struggle and shares stories of both lament and celebration, pointing toward hope, joy, and healing. This book offers Black readers of all ages a wealth of stories, reflections, and practical tools that will aid them as they journey toward healing from the barriers that affect their lives, the lives of their children, and their communities. Truth Table listeners can save 30% off of Young, Gifted, and Black when they order at ivpress.com using promo code TRUTH22. That's promo code TRUTH22 at ivpress.com to save 30% off of Young, Gifted, and Black. Em, do you know what's really important for the success of Black books? Oh, I sure do. That pre-order action. That's we right. We want to make sure everybody knows that if you want to support Black publishers, Black books, Black authors, y'all come on out here and pre-order mm-hmm. this book. Yes, y'all. Pre-order Truth Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation at truthstable.com or wherever books are sold. All right, and we are back at the table, y'all, with Dr. Daniels and Dr. Bantu and C. You know my, um, you know the emoji, the brain exploding emoji. That's me right now. You can't, I don't look like that, right? But in my spirit, I'm like, oh my goodness, mind blown, mind blown. And so, <laughs> with emojis right now. Listen, <laughs> oh my, I love it. I love it. Um, so, um, you know, Dr. Daniels. Wow, I just yeah. Anyway, I'm still like in the overflow. Of the outpouring, of, uh, just about just you know the the Ethiopian church and just the influence you know and the way that um, it influenced you know and helped to solidify you know some of uh, Martin Luther's thinking. And I'm wondering if you could talk to us just about um, the how we got to where we are now. How do we even get to a black church? Um, what what you know what are some of the? I mean, we know some you know some of the history, but maybe what are some of the the little known 
facts and origins of this history. Because something that I do not like and resent is when the Black history church, Black church is told in a way, sometimes in a truncated way, that it's a result solely of white racism. And that's just not completely accurate from my vantage point, but maybe correct me. Maybe I'm wrong. And so can you talk to us just a little bit more about, give us a more nuanced idea or understanding of the origins of the Black church? Yeah, no. And, and that's something that um, I wish I could say is highly contested, um, but it's not really contested. We're, we're, we're at a consensus and uh, people like me are on the outside trying to bring in another argument. Um, so, yeah. so the, the the current argument is the one that you described. Yes. Um, the catchy phrase is is um, African American Christianity starts on the slave plantation. Mm. That's the that 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 is where the consensus is. There's a whole industry of Black Church studies that's built upon the fact that um, African American Christianity started on the slave plantation. Right. Yeah. Now, there are people who try to expand that. So a scholar by the name of Gerard Wilmore tried to push the story back mm-hmm. and to say, OK, let's not start with the slave plantation, as he basically does in his first edition of the book. But by the time he gets to the second and third edition, he wants to push the story back to, to, to Africa yeah. and Christians in Africa. And that's where I come in. Um, so, so I join people like um, Linda Hayward, um, Jason Young, um, Jeanne DeWolf. And what they're arguing is that you see the presence of Angolan and Congolese who were already Christian in in the Congo, the the kingdom basically converts to Christianity in the 1490s, like 1491 or a little bit before then. So it's before Christopher Columbus. And and what they argue is that when you look at um, the church membership roles on one hand of uh, people um, within what becomes New York, um, in the uh, uh, 1600s, um, it's um, New Amsterdam. And on those rolls are people in a Dutch Protestant colony, but they have Portuguese names. And they were struck by that, number one. Number two, when they looked at, at the uh, 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 travel logs for the involuntarily involuntary transportation of Africans from Angola uh, from Africa. They realized that a, that a, a, an inordinate a, a, um, a disproportionate number are coming from the Angola Congolese area. And then when they when they look at the 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 church records, they see where people have their children baptized, which is assuming that they were already baptized. And we see that weddings are held in the Dutch Reformed Church, mm-hmm. though we don't see their baptismal records because assume they were already baptized. Mm-hmm. And so they've now begun to say that when we look in this area, a number of these Congolese and Angolans were already Christian. Wow. And they become then the nucleus out of which, the, at least for me and them, African-American Christianity emerges. It's not the slave plantation. It's Congo and Angola. Mm. There's also a few isolated people from England, and there's also some uh, from Spain or Cape Verde or Portugal. Um, but but but, but and, and, they're, and they're and and they're significant because they're are they're already coming over having been baptized, already being Christian. Wow. Um, and then there's a scholar by the name of Alfred Butler who is retired now, um, but he's the one that tipped me off to look at Low Country, South Carolina. 
that area with Goose Creek and the, and the Sea Islands, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and in that area, um, there are also parish records. And in the parish records of, of one of the Anglican priests there around 1710, he says up front that in my parish are some enslaved Africans who were already Christian from the, and he says Angola in that case. He says some of them can actually read. And he says they have a book that every time we ask for it, they won't show it to us. And and and, and that what Alfred Butler notes, that the first mass conversion of African people in North America is in low country South Carolina, mm. where there's a disproportionate number of Congolese and Angolans and where this Anglican priest already says a group of them are Christian. Wow. So now I have to jump from there to speculation. Speculation is they weren't converting to Christianity because of the preacher that came there. They were converting Christianity because they were already Angola and Congolese Christians on the plantation with them, introducing them to the faith. And the faith they introduced them on was, number one, slavery was wrong. Number two, we need to escape if we can. And number three, that if we can just get to Florida, there's some sisters and brothers who are Catholic who will let us be able to practice our faith again, mm-hmm. even though we're in a Protestant colony. Mm-hmm. They still have the consciousness of a Catholic in a Protestant colony. Look at that. That, to me, then, is where we find the beginning of the black church, that we find the beginning in Angola and Congo, and we find it among the Congolese and Angolans along the eastern seaboard of the United States. New York area, mm-hmm. uh, Maryland area, Virginia area, and low country, South wow. Carolina, as wow. well as Florida which is under the Spanish in the 17th century. My goodness. Wow. Thank you for that. Dr. Bantu, any way that you would like to complicate that, you know, this narrative about the origins of the black church? Yeah. Yeah. I would just say, I would uh, just commend and agree with what Dr. Daniel Mm -hmm. said. And just to add one little slight, uh, just piece of information that just uh, enhances his point that not only was there uh, Congolese rooted Christians in, you know, South Carolina, but that, you know, and, and were evangelizing and already were Christian, but they even actually instigated one of the largest slave revolts uh, in U S history in the Stono rebellion in 1739, where it was a rebellion of, as Dr. Daniels pointed out, uh, people who were trying to get, out of, of British controlled colonies and get into Spain, uh, Spanish controlled Florida, and they actually, uh, you know, revolted, you know, against their slave owners in, in 1739. And, and documentation says that that revolt, while it included uh, other Africans and other African American slaves from different ethnicities, that the core that actually started the revolt was actually a group of Congolese descended uh, African Christians. And so, uh, so it just, it, you know, enhances how much they understood and believed that slavery was wrong. Um, and you even see on the other side of that in the continent, you see some of the earliest writings uh, from the Congo from kings like King Nzinga Mbemba or Jao I, who was actually writing, complaining against the Portuguese king for the slave practices that were going on uh, in the coast. Um, but uh, but also, the uh, you know, the other thing I would add is that this is something that I'm really uh, kind of getting into now. Um, and, and I will say that we don't know, I don't know of any documentation of this uh, having reached across the Atlantic Ocean in the U.S., 
But uh, I think another thing that complicates the narrative is that we're talking about uh, that I'm just now really getting into and learning about is actually the fact that not only was Christianity from an- an- ancient times in the North African coast and it was a- along the Nile Valley in East Africa, but also that Christianity had made its way all the way to the Gold Coast of West Africa uh, and everywhere in between long before colonialism. Uh, and that and it makes all the sense of the world, because, again, if you're going back to ancient and uh, ancient times, right? On the continent we now call Africa, the main kind of urbanized kingdoms were like the North African colonies of the Roman Empire, Egypt, and then the Nile Valley kingdoms of Nubia and Ethiopia. The other kingdoms like Congo, they don't develop till much later. And then also even other medieval kingdoms like, you know, Songhai and Mali and Ghana and Mapungumwe in South Africa or, or Great Zimbabwe. These kingdoms don't develop until much later. And they develop primarily through trade and travel with East African and North African kingdoms. Now, if North and East African kingdoms and civilizations were predominantly Christian, and then later Central West and South African kingdoms develop in the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th centuries through through migration and trade with those regions, then wouldn't it make sense that many of these Central West and South African kingdoms would have heard of Christianity? And just like the story Dr. Daniels told about uh, people in the plantations uh, evangelizing one another, that that Christianity that would have been introduced to other parts of Africa would have been by other Africans. This was long before Europeans had ever come to the shores. But uh, one of the best examples of this actually is that, you know, King Mansa Musa in the 1300s was the king of the Mali Empire. Now, the Mali Empire in the 1300s doesn't line up with the modern nation of Mali. So the Mali Empire of Mansa Musa would have been most of West Africa, like Nigeria, Niger, Benin, Togo, Ghana, Sierra Leone, Senegal, uh, Burkina Faso, that would have all been, you know, parts mm-hmm. of all of those nations would have been part of the Mali Empire. And he was a Muslim because Islam actually came into the Mali Empire in the 11th century, uh, but it came in through force and conquest from the Almoravids in North Africa. But he actually went on a pilgrimage to Mecca as a Muslim, and he went through Egypt. And when he went to Egypt, he talked with a historian named Ibn al-Dabadari, who then wrote down the story that Mansa Musa himself reported that there were Christians in his kingdom in West Africa. And this is in the early 1300s, over a century before the Portuguese and other Europeans began to come into the Gold Coast of Africa with slavery. So again, uh, you know, there was there there was uh, the Christianity that would have come into the Congo in, you know, Central Africa, but that that did come in through European contact. Now, the important thing to point out about that, though, yet is that 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 was not colonization, but the king of the Congo freely embraced Christianity right. uh, and it wasn't imposed upon the Congo, mm-hmm. uh, but it still was introduced to Europeans. Uh, and so it, but at the same time, even still, the Congolese uh, had also in many ways embraced Christianity and made it their own in many ways. And one of the best examples of that is actually another uh, African woman whose name we need to know, which is Doña Beatrice Kempavita. And Doña Beatrice Kempavita was a Congolese Christian woman and probably prophetess who actually started a movement in the Congo in the 1700s and actually uh, and actually blended traditional Congolese religion with Catholicism or Portuguese Portuguese Catholicism. But also she was a freedom fighter because at that at that point in time in the 1700s, the Congo had become to be uh, had come to become colonized by the Portuguese. And so she actually led a movement, uh, a political movement as well, to resist and fight against colonization. So the the story of Congolese Christianity isn't uh, it's complicated and nuanced because they did hear from it from Europeans. But 
it wasn't imposed upon them and they made it their own in many ways. But yeah. this other history about Christianity uh, in West Africa, it also it didn't even come from Europe, but it actually came from Africans. It yeah. came from places like Nubia and Ethiopia, which were predominantly Christian nations. And so, again, it's it's absolutely untenable that that Christianity begins for African people or African-Americans with slavery. But it actually uh, goes much further past that. And then the last comment I would quickly make is that even for those of us, if we talk about the black church in the U.S., even for those of us that did actually maybe initially hear about Christianity through slave masters and plantation owners, we also have to note the fact that there is a night and day distinction between the Christianity that was being practiced by in the Negro spirituals and in black preaching and in the narratives of Frederick Douglass and Harriet Jacobs uh, and, and in the poetry yeah. of Phyllis Wheatley. There is a night and day difference between that and the slave holding, uh, slave slave supporting Christianity mm-hmm. uh selective Bible, slave Bible yeah. that literally tries to alter and take out passages of, of freedom from the word of God. Uh, there is a complete night and day difference between that Christianity and this one. And so you, it's also, you, you can't say that a church full of people of African descent who are reading the same Bible that these people who are enslaving them are, and yet they're coming away from it saying that while while their while their uh, captors are coming away from that Bible saying this Bible gives us the right to own you, these other people, these people of African descent, are saying actually this Bible says the exact opposite. It it calls for our freedom, and so you can't say that this came from that when they're actually preaching opposing messages. Come on, come on. So I mean, what you both have shared is so rich. I, what I keep visualizing in my mind is just this historical picture of um, enslaved African evangelists amongst the people basically fact checking the foolishness <laughs> that 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 um that their kinfolk are being told and saying actually no th- that's not really what it says and and i and i think um to me that's not a preposterous thought that actually makes a lot of sense that there there's some fact checking that there's some safeguarding by the grace of god amongst the people to say that that's that's actually not even the real bible like they they've edited out the bible um, they're missing they're missing things um, in what they are preaching to us. And so that's why we end up with this uh, this Christianity of liberation and freedom and beauty um, in contrast to this Christianity of bondage, right? And that though that God graciously sent fact checkers <laughs> amongst the people. Um, one of the things that we that you all talked about earlier was that there are some common experiences as well as common concerns theologically as we think about the kind of African diaspora church. And I'm wondering if you could identify some of those common concerns or common wrestlings um, that that you have that you have learned about um, as you've looked at um, Christianity through the centuries as practiced by uh, people of African descent. And the reason why I'm asking this question is because I'm trying to get a sense of of what of those concerns, what of those wrestlings may be present today uh, in 2022. What are we still kind of wrestling about and have wrestled through uh, that may be relevant for us to have an understanding of for the Black church today? Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Ted, did you want to share first? or um, You can go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I would just say, um, yeah, th- I mean, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I would say that, um, you know, three things come to mind briefly that I think that his, you know, African history and black church history, uh, could speak to. Um, and, and again, and this is just my experience, but I've, I've really seen, um, I, again, I would say three, 
kind of, you know, concerns, um, you know, that pop up in, in African-American and also just, uh, you know, diasporic and, and, and the global black community and especially believers. Um, you know, I think one is, uh, is something we've already kind of spoken to, which is again, who are we, who are black people, who are African people and what is our relationship to Christianity? Is this something that is, uh, you know, again, really just a product of white supremacy that is put on us. And so I think we've, you know, I think that's a, a common concern that I've seen people have on the continent and in the diaspora and in the U.S. And I think we've already kind of spoken to some of the history of how Christianity has a long history um, and, and legacy among people of African descent that's completely free and apart from colonialism. I think another thing that I see people wrestling with is kind of similar, um, not as much actually among African-Americans, although I will say, though, among African-Americans who reject Christianity and are keen to engage with our African roots, I do see this, but especially people on the continent and the diaspora. And that is, where is the role of African culture, African traditional culture in Christianity? Is Christianity compatible with traditional African culture, religious practices, traditions, you know, whether it's whether it's sage or drumming or uh, or mass or ancestral, you know, communication, all these kind of things that that's a question that a lot of people of African descent do have. Have is what is our and I would say a lot of people of color around the world have similar questions like that indigenous people in the Americas and um, you know people basically people who are not white <laughs> uh, and I think again this points to the hypocrisy because again now while you know and I'm I'm put my cards I'm a pastor I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a believer I'm, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost and so I believe I believe in uh, uh, I believe in orthodoxy and being biblical don't don't get it twisted um, but at the same time the gospel communicates itself in culture uh, and so the every every proclamation is cultural. There is no ah cultural theology or ah cultural worship. Every kind of worship is culturally situated. And Europeans or people of European descent have had the luxury of being able to actually contextualize, not syncretize. We don't want to syncretize, but can contextualize their culture, uh, whether it's Easter bunnies or the name Easter itself or Christmas trees or or so much, you know, of European Christianity. And now which becomes imposed as global Christianity came from and actually was mixed with European paganism or with culture. And, And yet African people can't do the same thing. People of African descent can't embrace in within a within, of course, the confines of biblical orthodoxy can't contextualize and embrace African culture. Um, and so I think that's another thing that African Christianity speaks to. Um, you know, on the cover of my book, Multitude of All Peoples, I actually have a picture of an ancient Nubian monastery from the 11th century that has Africans wearing animal masks, which we know is a very common practice uh, across the continent and even in the diaspora um, is where we get Mardi Gras masks from. And, and, and yet many people of African descent on both sides of the Atlantic would say, oh, no, we can't do that. That's that's unchristian. But yet we have Nubian Christians doing that in the 11th century uh, in monasteries. Right. Um, and then the last thing I would say I see as a common concern, again, within the black community and the black church, but but also I see it in other communities of color as well, is does is Christianity a religion of justice? Uh, is 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 the concerns of the oppressed and concerns of oppression and marginalization, are they addressed by Christianity? Or is it just we just pray until we get to the afterlife and, you know, just don't worry about the problems we have going on now? And again, I would say that that is largely the fault of a of a of a uh, complicated or compromised witness of the global church and especially in the dominant culture we have people nowadays just coming out and saying that issues of justice have nothing to do with the gospel and so i think that that's another thing that we have to speak to in african and african-american history uh and black church history clearly speaks to a call for justice that yes uh, it's it's on earth as it is in heaven so yeah, yeah I, I agree um with dr yeah. bantu i would just add maybe a couple of things um one i'd like to begin where he started where he ended um so 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 within both the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, at least, 
And within um, a traditional set of African worldviews, um, you don't compartmentalize secular and sacred. Uh, and um, and so, so the world is not divided um, between those two. It, it is one world. And so therefore, for an African, it, it would have been, who, who is African in their mindset? It would be incomprehensible to say that Christianity frees your soul, but your body remains either enslaved or oppressed or colonized. Because again, you can't separate the two. If my, if my soul has been freed, my body has to be free too, because you can't bifurcate um, the body and the world that way. And so, so that then led to, as Dr. Bantu said, this concern about justice. And you'll see language of freedom and language of liberation um, in writing across um, the Atlantic um, on both sides um, there because of that. So, so it's not like they're trying to be politically correct. Is that you can't read it otherwise if you don't bifurcate the world. The second one is related to that, um, um, which is the role of prayer. And um, you can see both in um, um, places like Brazil, um, places like Nigeria, places um, like United States, um, that prayer is ends up being a big concern. Matter of fact, um, in, 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 in um, both in Africa, you have some groups that are basically praying churches. Mm. Um, um, and you have in the United States, some churches that have prayer in their name, house of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so therefore, uh, prayer was concerned, but prayer wasn't merely a concern um, as let me complain to God or let me praise God. Mm-hmm. But prayer was also the fact that it was a way to bring changes about in this world. That if you could, within the U.S. language, touch the heart of God, that God could then move on your behalf. And that could be like the Hebrew children in Egypt, getting you out of Egypt into the promised land, or that could be a healing, or that could be changing of something. So so you'll see prayer being a concern throughout um, the African diaspora and on the continent among Christians. Um, And then maybe the the third one would be um, uh, wanting to worship God. This goes with with Dr. Bantu's point on contextualization, wanting to worship God in ways that are not only familiar, but in ways that seem a Christian. Um, so, so by the time you get to, um, I don't know, the 16th century, the um, church in Europe had given up on dance as a means to worship God within the liturgy. But the Ethiopians did not give up on it. They continued all the way throughout this period. And then when Africans read the Bible and saw David dancing before the Lord and all this stuff, they thought, well, what we're doing makes sense. And so, 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 so they wanted to dance. Then they wanted to sing, you know, um, songs that, that, that were in their tombs. Um, and then they wanted to use their own idioms. And then, as Dr. Bantu said, bring in other kinds of objects that's there. But all of that was not European. And all of that was seen as a contrast. But that quest for that, to be able to worship God in ways that you feel the Lord is leading you to worship was one then that challenged, that, that then created um, for us um, gospel music, homiletical styles, uh, prayer uh, styles, uh, contemplative styles, ways to meditate and focus and concentrate. All of those are emerging out of those developments. All right. Oh, my goodness. Dr. Daniels, Dr. Bantu, y'all have given us much to think about and just Absolutely. a richer 
and deeper understanding of our faith and our people's impacts on the faith. And that is priceless. So thank you both so very much. Uh, Now, I know, I know the sisters at the table and our standing room section people want to know, how can I read more? How can I learn more (laughs) from from Dr. Banty and Dr. Daniels? Please talk to our listeners and our sisters at the table. Let them know where they can follow your work and read more and learn more about this rich history. So I, I would say, oh, so mm-hmm. yeah, so definitely, uh, yeah, how can we follow your work, plug it? And if each of you could just recommend for the person who's oh, yeah. who the interest is sparked, like, you know, what would you recommend? This is this is the first thing I want you to look at. Dr. Bouncy, why don't you go first? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I appreciate y'all having us. Um, and uh, it's great to be here. Uh, love to do it again. And uh, But yeah, I would uh, love to stay in touch with anybody here. Uh, you know, I teach at Fuller Seminary. And so you could uh, check me out there. I'm at the Houston campus, but do a lot of different classes and love to love to chop it up with people there. Uh, also uh, direct the Meacham School of Hymenote. Uh, so you can take classes with us there. Um, you know, it's a, 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 a contextualized Afrocentric biblical uh, seminary and we're, you know, students all over the world. So, uh, and, uh, and it's, uh, you know, a bit more contextualized and affordable. So take classes with us there, but also we have an annual theology conference, uh, the annual meeting of the Society of Gospel Hymenote. So you can check us out there. It's a, it's a place for, uh, again, Afrocentric and biblical theological, uh, academic presentations and dialogue. And, and so that's a, and that's also, you know, accessible, uh, virtually. So, uh, check us out in October, October 21st, 22nd, um, and, uh, and also we have, uh, out of that, we have the Hymenote Journal, which is one of the only black theological journals, uh, in, you know, in the country. And so that's a, a place where we can collect research. And, um, and so you can uh, check that out as well and purchase it, uh, through, um, uh, UMI, Urban Ministries International. Um, but it is on Amazon as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, I, and you can, uh, I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, so you can hit me up there as well, but thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I unfortunately am not on Facebook nor really on social media. I, so, I uh, but, but you can you you Good can you, uh, teach Daniel. at McCormick Theological <laughs> Seminary in Chicago, and um, we have a, a, a faculty page there, and, and it has at least my name and some things that are there. <laughs> uh, otherwise, things are scattered all over the place. Um, but um, one place to look there's some videos um, where I've lectured. One at Princeton Seminary um, that's on this Michael the Deacon and, and Martin Luther, and then there's some others. Um, usually, if you just put my name in and put um, Dr. David Daniels and put in Ethiopia or put in Black Church, um, some of those would come up. Um, the the things that are published again are in a variety of places, yeah. um, but some of it is listed on the website at McCormick Seminary. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you both very much Mm -hmm. for taking a seat at the table with us this week. And of course, we want to thank our sisters at the table for taking a seat with us too. Let's keep the conversation going. Please tweet us your thoughts about State of the Black Church, Black Church History with Dr. David Daniels and Dr. Vince Bantu. You can use the hashtag TruthTable. And Black women, did y'all know that we have a Black Women's Facebook Discipleship Group? You need to go ahead and like our Facebook page and go ahead and join. Make sure you answer the entry questions. One of them is, are you a black woman? You should be able to say yes. <laughs> then you will be able to be admitted into the group. Um, please invite your homegirls. And don't forget about our other podcast, Get in the Word with Truth Table, where myself and Christina are literally reading through the Bible in a year. And we are praying uh, over those scriptures and over you um, as we go through the Bible. So make sure you subscribe to that podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Truth Table. And email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. 
gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth Table has a Patreon account so y'all can support our ministry at patreon.com slash truthstable or you can send a love offering to us via PayPal at paypal.me slash truthstable. Truth Table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit Pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York. Our video editor is Daryl Bradford. And we have been your hosts, Kemini and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.